0: Oh, Why, hello there, my tasty morsel. What a fine evening it is that you've decided to listen to such a delectable sonic treat. Or afternoon? More likely a commute? Whenever, moi- (laughs) Oh, I won't dawdle. Don't you fear? I only- Jesus, it's relentless out there. I only wish to welcome you to another Halloween-themed episode of Riding the Taurus. Or shall it henceforth be known as Riding the Torment? (laughs) Uh, Throughout this audio excursion, you may feel a tiny prick in your ears, but do not alarm. This is only a minor sting that will bring you closer. Yes, closer to your favorite hosts. How does it work that need not concern you? Just remain focused on my voice while I place a tiny five-star review in your name on our network. <laughs> oh, what's this? You already reviewed the network? When When was this? Seven years ago. I... Alright. <clears throat> Well, uh, never mind, just whatever. Here's Josh's intro.
1: What's never Were you uh, punching in the thunder and lightning sounds or were you just trying to weave your words in between? them?
0: <laughs> no, I, uh, that was all in post.
1: Okay. A little cool. behind
0: the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Edited the whole thing. Would you believe I, I got it all in on one take?
1: Wow. that's uh,
0: I only had like minor timing to change for the, those two lightning strikes, but, um, yeah.
1: Impressive. You're the Thank J. You. You're you're basically the Jay Z of science podcasts
0: on <laughs> Halloween. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going as this year? Oh, you know, like everyone probably just Dahmer. Oh, okay, because th- I'm sure that's <laughs> enjoyable.
1: Yeah, you people. know, you probably been wa- you probably watched the Dahmer Netflix series. You love Dahmer.
0: No, my my mom, believe it or not, um, with as many tails as I've spun webs I've spun, tails I've spun. Mm-hmm. Um that sounds tailspin. like I'm making it up.
1: Dun 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 tailspin. You remember Tailspin? Mm-hmm. Or were you alive? Is
0: that the Chip and Dale show?
1: No, that's Chip and Dale's rescue rangers. Tailspin was the oh. one with Baloo and Kit Cloud Kicker and and uh Louie, you know, from Jungle Book, but it was like their world in the modern times and he was like a cargo plane pilot. Rings a bell. <laughs> I think it actually started maybe like three or four, four years before you were born, but, you know.
0: <laughs> was that like on the WB? Uh,
1: yeah. No. Um, at the time, it was with all the other Disney ones. So it was like uh, DuckTales, Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, and Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. And then they also so had Darkwing earlier Duck, that they had so. Gummy Bears. Do you remember Gummy Bears?
0: Gummy Bears.
1: No. Da, 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 we are the gummy bears. You
0: don't remember that? <laughs> I don't one? remember okay. gummy bears. Um <laughs> but much like the gummy bears uh my mom was obsessed with uh serial killers. So this is before true crime was like a genre that people would Yeah, she kind of get it. Get <laughs> into. Yeah, I guess. Um but yeah, she like she taught a in At my high school, she taught the, uh, what was it called? Criminal justice, criminal justice class. Um, And, you know, she had been a lawyer and a judge and everything, so qualified enough to teach it, but would give people like an assignment every year where they had to research a, like some, like big criminal in the past. And which seems now very out you know at the time of in high school who's she assigning ed gain to (laughs) 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 that was the name though of my uh rock band band with me my stepdad and stepbrother and then my sister would sometimes jump in but she's claimed that we didn't let her uh play (laughs) maybe everyone's got a different memory of the childhood (laughs) (laughs) we were trying to you know advance Beyond and the drums were quite difficult on that game, yeah, you know, yeah <laughs> uh we got stuck on run for the hills by uh whoever that is, whatever metal band that is
1: uh uh you think of Kate Bush no running up that run hill, to the hills running up that hill Iron Maiden she just wrote that song this year, came out this summer, <laughs> the Iron Maiden song oh. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, what are you gonna go as uh,
0: so this year we're well, first off, this weekend, um I'm going to uh learn how to install artwork the proper way. There's an artist I know that um she does like installs, and I'm wanting to learn that as a skill to you know try and pick up a few odd jobs and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I know how to put artwork up, but what is the, you know, going to like a museum, what is not a museum, but like a, a school's museum or gallery or whatever, mm. what are the kind of things you need to know? Um, but you know, Halloween's on a Monday. So this year we're, we've never had kids come around cause we've always lived in apartments and this is the first time we're living in like kind of a residential area. They can like walk up uh, to your door. He, they could but i don't think we've spoken to one of the neighbors that's lived at this place for a few years and they were saying many kids don't really come up here um and she did say that like there's a baptist church down the street that uh does i guess a trunk or treat sorry they do a halloween no i'm sorry festive harvest harvest yeah fall festival. harvest that's yeah fall harvest festival um and so they have stuff, and she said a bunch of kids go there. But and we're you thinking... have you ha-
1: they have a haunted house like in the gym of the church, but it's not a haunted house. It's where you go to see like what would happen the if you committed a bunch of sins. No, <laughs>
0: like I may actually yeah want to go. Through I that. I've,
1: I've done this many times at First Baptist Church when I was a kid, but it was always like you'd go in, and then there was like the the kid who's like. Pushing drugs on another kid, and you see that kid, and then you go into the next room, and then that kid's dead in a hospital bed. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's yeah, one where, like the the kids are disobeying their parents, and uh, you know they they end up uh, they end up getting kidnapped by some strangers at the park that because they disobeyed their parents and went to the playground without their permission right. and stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, I do need to see if that's what they got going on. Um. And so, our thinking is we're gonna. So, we've got like one of those things that we can, like an outlet that's portable, you know, mm-hmm. like a battery pack, but we can actually plug an outlet into it. Gotcha. And, uh, so we're gonna like set up just our Halloween lights kind of on the sidewalk area, like the grass, and see if kids walk by and hand out candy. And if they don't, then, uh, we were thinking of just like bagging up the candy and just kind of walking around and seeing houses then if we see kids like just give them yeah whatever we also i came up with an idea cuz i was uh, as a young kid quite shy during halloween and um you know going up to a house was kind of a big deal for me <clears throat> you know maybe being <laughs> told that i was going to be kidnapped at every second of yeah, my life yeah. was uh, same
1: here like intruding on another person's yard was a no-no at any other time of the year like I couldn't even walk on their grass type of thing
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I mean my when I was uh I don't know if it was like when I was one or two but one of those years whenever I went trick-or-treating um my parents put out the bowl of candy and some kids like stole the bowl and they like chased after them like got it one of them ran after them with me and then the other one got in the car and drove after them and for like a plastic tops. bowl right uh so that's that was my upbringing on you know how intense yeah. halloween is
1: <laughs> halloween is just a honey pot for a prison pipeline for juveniles. <laughs> right, right, right
0: yeah uh so this year i decided uh well i mean this is our first year doing it but uh, I got, like, a few full-size candy bars and boxes and stuff, and then if I see, you know, kind of a shy kid just being like, oh, this is the cool kid, you know, candy. It's mm-hmm. giving them a a full-size Hershey bar or whatever.
1: Now, you give those to the, like, teenage kids who don't even, like, wear a costume. They might put, like, one little, like, sticker on their cheek or, you know, just something to say, yeah, I'm in costume, more in wearing a hoodie. You give those kids the full-size candy bars. <laughs> Do those kids exist anymore? I don't know. They're probably uh, you know, too busy trying to survive, but maybe that's the way they survive off of full-size candy bars.
0: Well, I'm wondering if they I mean, it seems like this uh generation is much more aware socially of like stuff. Like the at least when I was going through school and like as a teenager, in high school and stuff the internet was coming around mm-hmm. and it seemed like people were there was like w- we heard that you know your age people would go and do that like you know the when i was a uh, freshman the upperclassmen who took their you know physics class trip to uh six flags yeah yeah they like jumped off the yosemite sam ride yeah. And, you know, got in trouble and got kicked out and all this kind of stuff. And Too
1: busy making out with girls and that Yosemite Samurai to jump out of the boat. <laughs> right.
0: So that was kind of the image of the older kids. But I'm wondering, like, because I don't think too many people my age did that. Like the, I don't know, that feels like such a 90s like, thing. The, to- reason, the reason why
1: I was going out, like, at that age to trick or treat was more because I was taking my younger brother. Um, cause it was very uh, okay. much like, uh, very much like ET. Uh, you know, if you're the oldest kid, your parents are all into Halloween and they take you around the neighborhood and hold your hand and say, wear your coat over your Luke Skywalker costume. And you know, all that stuff. But after you've had like three kids, the parents are like, "Over oh, there, we'll just man our house. <laughs> you right. oldest son, take the younger siblings out. This is now your task. So You know, then you feel like, well, I'm not an adult, but I also don't really want to dress up. But then it's going to be kind of weird if I'm just like this 16 year old kid, 17 year old kid, like standing off in the corner with my arms folded. So you kind of have to you feel like you have to do maybe a little something like you put a mask on or some face paint or a a sign on your shirt that says something ironic or something like that. Uh, just to feel part of it It, it's just a weird time because you know you want the candy at that age still but you're also above the candy and the dressing up part of it but now you're obligated to make sure that your your brother and sister don't get razor bladed or kidnapped or fentanyl or whatever
0: (laughs) right yeah so i guess my sister was just four years younger than me four and a half So she was close enough in age that I was not like needing to be the adult taking her out. Mm -hmm. She would go out with us some, but that was like when I was in middle school and I'd probably dress up as like, you know, a skateboarder or whatever, just like skateboard to houses. Um, but I probably only took her like down our street and then I went off with friends.
1: (laughs) My, my, um, my senior year of high school, uh, Halloween, I took my little brother out trick or treating, but it was when I was, I had first started like talking to Nikki <clears throat> and, uh, I knew that she lived in Valley Ranch cause I'd been to her house one time for like a, uh, a after party for a play we had done in our junior year of high school. And so like, but it's, you know, before GPS or, Anything, so I just knew generally where her house was in Valley Ranch. <laughs>
0: What's what page on Mapsco was she? Yeah,
1: I didn't know, I I couldn't remember because I, I couldn't, I'd only been there one time. So I was like, Well, these the Valley Ranch, you know, they'll all have the awesome candy anyway. So my little brother definitely loved that most. So I took him and his little friend and we went driving around and I was just driving the car and then let them run out and go to the door. But every time I was like, is this the street? Damn it. It's not the street. (laughs) Okay. So I drive down (laughs) the street. Dang it. And I, and I never found it that, that, uh, that Halloween night. I never found her house.
0: Did you recognize the house when you, whenever you went back? Oh yeah. Yeah. One of those things that you had just forgotten how it looked.
1: Yeah, it's it's the thing that, like, every single house in Valley Ranch next to where the Cowboys complex used to be over there, like, Mm -hmm. are all the same. It's, like, all the same kind of red Acme brick mixed with some Austin Stone house. And, like, every... Every street is named after a former cowboy. So if you're like you're like oh yeah of I'll course. remember that one's a former cowboy's named street. Well they're all named after former cowboys. So it's tough <laughs> to to know the one that was the one that was right. Um, and then most of the streets are all like it's not a grid. That was the other hard part. It's not a grid over there. It's like kind of a, an amoeba kidney bean shape. So of the whole subdivision, so all the streets like curve and then end in like a cul-de-sac. And the next one, like, is parallel to it, but it curves and ends in its own cul-de-sac. And so, I knew she lived on a cul-de-sac, but there were about forty of them. (laughs) I couldn't figure (laughs) out which was the right one.
0: Man, that's tough. But hey, it all worked out. Yeah. Well, jury's still out. (laughs) (laughs) I know. We'll see. We'll see if you kids make it. Yeah.
1: If we, you know, twenty years might be it. We might, 20 years of marriage might be the last year.
0: Yeah. Miho and I were looking at the numbers too, because we were like, you know, what is the average time of like marriage? You know, especially Uh growing up in Texas, like people, you know, my parents being prime examples. Um, and then we saw it was, I think like seven years or something, or people start to, you know, like they separated seven years or whatever. Seven year
1: itch. (sighs) Like Blue Marilyn, Monroe, that. Melor, Marilyn yeah. Monroe taught us all about.
0: I he, guess <laughs>
1: it was a movie she made. I oh, know okay. you probably didn't take like classical Hollywood history in college like I did. You nope. were in Baylor trying to be a doctor. I knew I was
0: coming to L.A., <laughs> so I, I was going to be inundated. Oh, yeah. I heard Mino the other day, too, talking about how he was staying in downtown L.A., and uh saying that it was he's like you know i just can't believe how far it is from everything in los angeles <laughs> like the the hollywood you know boulevard and everything and i'm like you know that's like you know i don't know dallas geography well enough especially now but i would imagine that that's like staying in like deep ellum or around there where it's like you have all of the places you can go out to and then saying, it's just so far from Texas Live. Like, how am I going right, to find right. any entertainment around here?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. LA and Dallas are both incredibly spread out for for terrible highway car reasons.
0: But would you <laughs> want to go to Texas Live? I don't know. Or maybe the A C, Like one of those places that has just the chain.
1: Or uh, it might be better like... The famous places that people come to Texas, they stay downtown and then they're like, oh, yeah, and I want to go see uh, the ranch where they filmed the TV show Dallas. And then they find that out that shit's like way up fucking north, (laughs) north of Plano somewhere. And then they got to like take a hour drive one way to go see it when they thought because they saw the TV show. They thought, oh, yeah, their ranch was right next to downtown Dallas. (laughs) The skyline yeah, was just right people. there behind all the cows and oil derricks. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I've never seen Dallas. Um, lived it, you know. Sorry. You didn't live it. Uh, you lived it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can ride a horse on you, though. Don't, don't think I can't.
1: That's good. That's good.
0: You should get a horse
1: open up there are some open up a horse beach riding thing down there have people pay pay 80 mm, bucks a pop to take them on a 15 minute ride down the beach on a horse and they sign a bunch of waivers so they can never sue you
0: i think the beaches around here don't allow that but maybe more up north there may be some like in malibu that do that uh or even farther north than that but there are i mean it, it got kind of popular a few years ago but there are like the I think they're called the Compton Cowboys, but there's like a huge group of people that have horses in Compton.
1: Yeah, are- I've seen the videos of that,
0: them riding that's, around. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Um But anyways, <laughs> enough chitter chatter.
1: Yeah, now it's time for the serious science.
0: Uh So I was thinking of this one that I was going to be looking up cadavers mostly and then just slightly get into zombie. But then you mentioned that it was way more fascinating uh, history-wise than, I, I, you know, just, what did you say? Like just a movie trope that turned into...
1: Yeah, my my thing going into it was I thought, okay, zombies is probably like some sort of, uh, people were reading a bunch of plague diaries from the Black Death about people who were, like, thrown into piles with a bunch of other plague victims, and they weren't actually dead, but they were being buried alive in these big group graves. Because we talked about that a little bit on our old plague episode. Um, I, so I thought, in my mind, my intuition was like, oh, that's probably where the origin is from. And then it turned into some pop culture thing in America at some point, And, you know, connect the dots, bing, bang, we're all done. Uh, it has nothing to do with nothing to do with any of that <laughs> it's uh it's just another great chapter in the story of the legacy of colonization
0: yeah it, which you know i i don't pretend to know a whole lot about uh the caribbean <laughs> or <laughs> haiti specifically but uh, uh i was kind of surprised to learn you know being Growing up where we did, and then being so close to Louisiana and especially New Orleans and everything that being like a hot spot to go oh, to oh, yeah, and
1: if you ever live in Houston, it's basically just New Orleans West,
0: yeah, uh especially now, um you know, after Katrina and everything mm-hmm. it's it's i'm I'm surprised that I didn't know that it came kind of i mean I guess sort of directly from like voodoo culture.
1: Yeah. And more, uh, and there's this, uh, Dr. Emily Sarka, I think is her, how you say her last name? Uh, she she, she, uh, went, uh, she's from the university of, or ASU, Arizona state, but her whole PhD is in like monster tropes throughout literature and her specialty is in zombies. And she did a Big thesis on this, where she had done the research on the Haitian origins of the zombie, and so even before there's l- what we now consider voodoo, like New Orleans voodoo, um, as a religion, there's a pr- there's a precursor religion, vodun, which is or vodun, it's pronounced two different ways, but that originates from West Africa, and then um, gets its underpinnings from the slaves being all stationed on the uh, plantations and then just in the holding centers in Haiti before they, some of them were just taken to the uh, colonies and sold off, but others were kept in Haiti to work on the different cane farms and things like that. Um, but the, uh, the religion that surrounds that has a um, sort of uh, medicine... Type of priest and this is a thing where we're going to run into it uh quite a bit on this episode but like in modern po- popular culture and in american popular culture uh anytime we've ever had to interact with like voodoo or witch doctors or african priest or anything like that it's always a negative sinister dark magic kind of connotation it's never in the context of what those actual religions are about which is a lot of just like most other religions they're like centered on like healing and community and how to bring about love and the betterment of betterment of our fellow man you know Um, it's
0: it's funny because like you know eastern religions and stuff and eastern practices for healing has a very at least now um very in the in vogue sort of moment where people oh, yeah. are like yeah that's like you know it's so refreshing to this think refreshing that you're this refreshing
1: alternative using. medicine yeah
0: <laughs> right 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 um but yeah when it comes to this which is you know you can it's weird as you're describing because you can like feel the tingle in your the back of your head like you know I'm I know I need to almost actively distinguish that this is uh like a healing sort of practice which just goes to show how ingrained like the you know even for us the like kind of colonial mindset can be uh be present oh
1: absolutely um and so you get the the concept of the zombie and the haitian religion of Vodun has um is more about the idea that if the powers of the religion and the healing powers of our priests couldn't be manipulated they would be manipulated in a way that someone could bottle your soul and your consciousness and then keep it so that they own you, but then your body would just be a tool for them to do whatever work they wanted to do with it. And while you are aware inside that husk of a shell that is doing all the labor, you are living inside it and you are aware that's going on, but you can't do anything about it. It's very much more like the uh, like Get Out, the Jordan Peele movie, where yeah. they're like in a hypnotic state of being completely subservient to whatever the structure is of whoever owned them and whoever is using them, and they can scream all they want from their inner dark space inside them, but no one can hear them. That all they get is just the uh, the outward zombie like portrayal of this husk of a human being, which was the analog to um, Haitian bondage at that time, too, because the way that you cope with the reality of I'm never going to get out of this, any children I have are never going to get out of this, this is just the perpetual state now, is this likeness to I have become zombified. I don't have any agency no matter what, even if I wanted to. And that goes back to the mythology of having like a malicious practitioner of Vodun practices being able to basically enslave someone's body by capturing their soul and then even um, the like actual practices of using different um, pathogens that come from pufferfish and things to create more like comatose type states in human beings through different, you know, as you're trying to do different healing rituals Um But then having like the experience of sometimes those people like are in deep comas and you think that they're dead and those people would get buried and then they're actually not dead. They're just totally paralyzed, laying there alive while they're being buried alive. Um, Yeah. So like all of that informs what becomes the Haitian zombie analog for their colonized uh, body stolen experience.
0: And I think the, at least from my reading, and you know, some of this is like, uh, I'm not able to go as deep into it as uh, I would like to, to be able to speak as intelligently mm-hmm. uh, as I possibly could. So this is probably, you know, some of it's a little more on the like speculation kind of side of it, but reading from people who uh, have studied this, the... <clears throat> the way that it's sort of described is that the like becoming a zombie is sort of the ultimate, which is not something that people believed happened to everyone. It was just, you know, like possible to happen, but that that was the, the worst fate you could have because, uh, in sort of, possibly this like Voodoo religion or then the, the, what it turned into voodoo, which sort of mixed with some of the, uh, colonizers, Christianity and everything in Haiti. Um, the concept of like death is a release from slavery and Mm -hmm. you can then, you know, feel like your spirit then can go and rejoin ancestors, um, It mentioned that like that's a way that you could return to Africa uh in a way, in a sense, at least your spirit could. And becoming a zombie meant that you couldn't do that. You were perpetually stuck as essentially a slave. That you were the property forever, no matter what. Mm. You don't you don't get the off ramp. (laughs) Right. And the the at least in sort of that sort of uh thinking was that If you died of, like, natural causes, uh, then your spirit would be able to immediately go and rejoin ancestors. Um, But if you died unnaturally, uh, so you were, like, murdered or something like that, you know, which likely happened to a ton of people in slavery, um, I'm not even sure if they considered, like, dying as a slave was a natural death, you know, like being worked to death um but that your soul then was lingering uh and vulnerable to being you know used to then create this sort of zombie um persona or person or or whatever um because you weren't able to immediately go and join the ancestors so then you're just kind of around your gravesite and this, you know, evil practitioner would be able to come and take it. And I think it's interesting to point out that the, the difference here really lies and that the, uh, you know, I think it was like 85 to 90% of 80 to 90% of Haitians uh, practice voodoo. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone like the, the zombie stuff. And then the like, Boko sorcerer kind of people that can use magic and all that stuff are on the fringes of the religion, um, which you know I would say is probably similar to like snake handlers or something. Yeah, or, or uh, in, in or like
1: the or the hardcore people that are really into like Old Testament, uh, speaking in tongues and stuff too. I mean, yeah, Pentecost- yeah. all all different types of Pentecostalism are probably comparable but like also just like people who like really believe in uh like the elijah story and the ezekiel story and the old testament type of stuff
0: yeah so it's while it's still on the fringes there's still you know there's like the 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 difference being that people who practice voodoo and and especially i suppose haitians who practice voodoo being turned into a zombie is their greatest fear. Mm-hmm. The zombie itself is uh like to be pitied. Like you feel so bad that they yeah. were they're captured and stuck in it. The zombie Whereas is not the, a
1: violent brain flesh no, eating thing that monster coming to kill all of innocent humanity.
0: <laughs> which is amazing that the American trope of zombie we fear the zombie which mm-hmm. again <laughs> just goes to show you how ingrained in culture those sorts of things can be, which, you know, we we will probably get to it later, but that comes directly from like the U S occupation of Haiti for yeah. 20 years. Oh yeah. Um, but the, the actual, like, you know, if you look at early art of zombies, like there's this painting I have in my notes, um, from 1939 by a Haitian artist, It goes to show you exactly what the thinking from the uh, Haitian Voodoo perspective is. It's like this person who has—I don't know if you would call it a whip, but he has like a stick with a string on it, and he's got rope tied around three like dead bodies that he's obviously driving to go work and Mm -hmm. do something. Like that is that is the image of zombie, and it makes sense why a culture that was so early on shaped by violence and slavery is afraid of being turned into a perpetual slave. Yeah,
1: the um and this is sort of the interesting part where it becomes part of the popular culture of America and not so much rooted in the religious practice. Or the Haitian interpretation, you get a lot of Americans going over there during the American um, invasion and occupation of Haiti, guys who are just, you know, in the military or who are journalists who are covering, covering the occupation. And they come, some of them come back and they use the things that they observed that they thought they couldn't wrap their head around coming from their background seeing like the worshipping practices and some of the communal practices of the different Haitians um, they used that stuff as uh, foundational elements in a bunch of fiction writing and poetry writing and things that they did at the turn of the century Um, and so that's sort of the introduction into the American consciousness of the the existence of this quote unquote monster Um, and some of it is like an introspective look on like the plight of humanity type of writing and others are like, this is why we, this is why we are sent by God to go just take all the Haitians out because out, they're subhuman, yeah. pagan, you know, weird creatures, just like all the uh, native Americans we encountered when we first came over here, just heathens that had to be controlled.
0: Did you look into like the occupation at all? Cause I've got some, Oh, go for it. I did. I only, only, sk- only skimmed. Uh, so we know. Um, we, we've spoken about it, and we sp- definitely spoke about it on like the debt book mm-hmm. episode. But that's we talked a little what, bit that, about like the Haitian uprising ago? on
1: um, pedagogy of the oppressed too.
0: Yeah, and essentially just to give like a recap, and you know, new listeners all the time. Eight 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 seven. Um, so the Haitian Revolution in eighteen o four it started in like the 1700s forget the year um but the essentially Haiti was you know a french colony that had tons of slavery they had uh, sugarcane fields and it was extremely brutal which i don't think it's great to compare you know how slaves were treated among places it was all terrible
1: oh yeah um, and then you have and you have the crazy the the dynamic of all of those islands there and and that close proximity to each other and all of them are held by different imperial states right so you have britain and france and america and spain all there on top of each other and they all have like slightly different rules about slavery and they have slightly different rules about when people got like (laughs) liberated and stuff so you have lots of stories of plights of huge groups of slaves like thinking this is our chance. We're gonna to try to swim the ten miles to that next island <laughs> because I hear they got yeah. it a little bit better over there than we got it over here.
0: Yeah, man, it's it's it sounds horrible. Um, it was horrible, and the so the Haitian Revolution in eighteen oh four it was uh, you know led by slaves. They were able to uh, essentially fight off all of the people who were in charge there, you know, there's uh, more slaves than there are people who own slaves. Um, Mm -hmm. You reach a critical mass. Exactly, uh, you know, current times comparison, but you know, there's a lot of them and very few at the top and you know, uh, when you come together, you can change things. And they were able to end the French colonialism. Uh, they, They established their own country. And their reward for doing that is uh, France, along with the backing of every other Western nation in the world, said, that's fine. You can be independent as long as you pay us, you know, in today's money, this billions worth of money Mm -hmm. uh, to get your freedom, which essentially just threw the whole country into debt of France. It was an amount that no matter how much they could possibly make each year, if they were just... I don't know what GDP stands for, but whatever the maximum GDP is, um the, whatever that is, they're making that and they would never be able to overcome this debt.
1: So you're saying you're saying that the government of France didn't feel like bailing out Haiti?
0: <laughs> no. Oh. Uh they did not. <laughs> and uh every other country is backing it, especially, you know, the US because uh Hey, what we, we're going to... We
1: needed Lafayette, man. All right?
0: <laughs> we needed Lafayette. But then, think about it, it, The from the US's perspective, especially in 1804, they're definitely not thinking like, well, uh, if we support this place that had a slave rebellion that turned into a revolution, that turned into freedom for them, and the end of slavery, the yeah. first country in the Western Hemisphere to end slavery as Haiti. We um, don't
1: want this to happen to us in half a century.
0: <laughs> yeah. They they saw it as a threat to yeah. imperialism. <laughs> um and so it was you know, Haiti was obviously um going to struggle for the next few hundred years. And they had many attempts of different governments like all throughout Europe and the U S and Canada going in and trying to installing a bunch of nincompoops. (laughs) Yes. Nincompoops is the perfect (laughs) descriptor, (laughs) um, going in and doing coups and everything. So the U S, uh, the U S government's interest in Haiti had existed for decades prior to the occupation. Here's a few little hints. Um, in 1868, Andrew Johnson suggested the annexation of the islands of Hispaniola, which is the island of the Dominican Republic in Haiti, um, to secure a U.S. defense and economic stake in the West Indies. Because around this time... We were still the, stoked
1: on Columbus.
0: Still stoked on Columbus. And all of those Western countries are... You're competing with each other. And, you know, Germany is a big uh, competition starting to be and all this kind of stuff. So you want to essentially own a country uh, down there. because the best natural
1: resource at the time is African bodies. (laughs) Yes. Um, Not not oil, not gas, not electricity, not wind, solar. No, no, it's just African bodies.
0: Um, And then, uh, let's see, in 1910, this is skipping over a ton, but in 1910, Taft granted Haiti a large loan in hopes that Haiti could pay it off so that it would not be as influenced by other countries. Um, that loan was not going to be able to help pay off at all no. the debt that it owed, which again, the debt is uh, in quotations. because right. it's like, look, kids, you know debt? how
1: we'll teach you to be responsible. What if I gave you $200,000 to go to college and I told you you didn't have to pay it back for the first 10 years. But then after that, the interest is gonna be insane and you're never gonna be able to make the minimum interest payment. But yeah. paying that back will teach you responsibility, and then you'll eventually be smart enough and mature enough to be your own country.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it was very much a, they don't think, it's it's one of those things that it's just like, uh, it exists to this day of being like, this country doesn't even know how to run itself. Meanwhile, right. <laughs> you know, it's just being sniped down by why. the CIA. And, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Um so in 1824 uh this is going back a little bit but the uh oh no wait yeah that was just talking about the debt sorry reading my bolds and it's great when i put my notes in there from different articles and they're not yeah in chronological Keep it order. chronological this is why we don't do history that often here it's very complicated <laughs> um but then in uh so there in, in The time before the occupation, in the three years uh, I believe that existed, so from 1912 to 1915, I think they had seven different leaders of the country. Um, Sounds like the UK, Mm. Uh, and Ah. they were being like uh, assassinated or kicked out of office or you know thrown into exile, all of this kinds of stuff. And around this time, what's occurring is. Governments like the US are financially supporting and militarily supporting specific candidates because they want somebody who is beneficial to the country, obviously. <clears throat> and so, in oh man, this is going to be difficult. Um, <laughs> the essentially what happened is, uh, there was somebody who was. Uh, anti-US and they were the uh, I think president president yeah presidents that they have there Um, and they got overthrown and then whoever overthrew them that person had to resign after three months so then this person uh, Jean something something Sam became the president and he was like pro U S he was trying to work out deals with the U S um, it's complicated around this time because they're like pro U S but they want to be like, we'll help you as long as you recognize our complete sovereignty, which, you know, has been going on for more than a hundred years, but yeah. people don't recognize. And because of his pro U S stance, um, there is this person, Dr. Rosalvo Bobo, which is was an influential political leader and medical doctor who opposed the uh, Sam's dealings with the U.S., and he was well-respected in the anti-U.S. movement and mobilized his allies in the countryside and Port-au-Prince to mm-hmm. overthrow the president, and they assassinated him. Um, because of this assassination, uh, the, obviously, there's a little bit more turmoil. So in uh president wilson then sent in the marines and just said we're taking over this country um in where's the the i was looking at this u.s like description of the thing uh it was from the history.state.gov oh cool to talk about it objective and (laughs) very objective and they mentioned that uh president wilson sent the u.s marines to haiti to prevent anarchy yeah Um, that's
1: you know that's the main problem with haitians is just they can't figure their shit out it's obvious right we gotta send some white people down there to take care of this
0: yeah it's uh it luckily it said in actuality the act protected u.s assets in the area uh yeah no really (laughs) um but they they were like afraid of the germans coming in and and invading the country and then installing a pro german government yeah, yeah. So, we're
1: we're we're in world war I now too so we got to protect all of our french brethren's you know livelihood and we're still we're still hung up on our on our alliances
0: right uh, and so that then essentially led to the us occupation I mean that obviously led to the U.S. occupation of Haiti for the next uh, 19 years. Um, they, during that time, in the 1915 elections, the Wilson administration attempted to strong arm the legislature to adopt a new constitution in 1917. Um, thankfully, the uh, the legislature rejected the new constitution and began drafting a new anti-American constitution. Um, so then the U S forced the president to say no more legislature. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Your Congress is done. We don't like
1: the way you vote. You just don't know (laughs) how to do it right.
0: (laughs) So then, uh, they didn't meet again until 1929, which was the result of a series of strikes, hint, hint, and uprisings, uh, that led to the U S eventually withdrawing troops and then slowly in 1934 with FDR giving the good neighbor policy mm-hmm. um but during that time is when you get all of the american viewpoints of Haiti uh and oh and i wanted to to point out you know this history um As much as I want to make a a joke and say it doesn't happen, it it is, like, literally currently happening to Haiti. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They had their president assassinated last year. Yeah. And by which seems quite obviously linked to at least Western countries. And there's a very pro-Western, pro-U.S. president in charge who is asking the U.S. to send in the military Mm -hmm. to help quell anarchy. Yeah. so you know this is something that is currently ongoing uh, and it's it's', to it's the country
1: It's obviously a long-term strategy that if you can keep a, if you can keep any democracy, even if it has the support that the beginnings of the at the Haitian uprising and overthrow of France does where everybody's on the same page we're we're our own independent nation and we're gonna you know do what's best for Haitians, if you can intervene in that enough times to cause it to continually reset, then everything downline in that country that relies on any type of bureaucratic intervention will never work. Um, it's why now they, as they've gone through the series of earthquakes over the last two decades, like most of the structures on the island are completely destroyed to rubble. Um Partially because the there was never an ad, an ability to an establish in a government for a long enough period of time so you could institute means and standards of like structural practices of building buildings and homes and streets and roads and infrastructure to protect you from natural disasters and all of that type of stuff. Never happens because anytime you get one step forward in Haiti a western intervention of colonialism drags it back another 20 years to start over again. And so that's why now even now Haiti is not much different than it was 200 years ago because everyone <laughs> in America and other western nations has intentionally made sure that it could never develop.
0: Yeah, it's I would love to uh I don't know, take a seminar or something that has a side by side between which, you know, obviously timelines are different, but uh, Haiti and like Cuba, like was was Cuba able to at least establish its own government after its revolution because of the USSR? Possibly Justin knows a better Mm -hmm. deep dive on that. But I don't know, like it's uh, obviously I feel like it has to be some sort of factor, but Oh, yeah. And, it's I mean, crazy like, that- Jamaica
1: has a similar story with England. They just, uh, you know, played nice with the royalty longer, and so they has more of a touristy, uh, happy-go-lucky type of place veneer on it. But in the internal right. workings of the country, they're very revolting against the imperialism and colonialism, and that's held them back as a developed nation as well.
0: Yeah. Um, so it's... It's certainly, like, interesting. I totally forgot. I, I had, like, something. Um, but anyways, it's it's crazy that it's that occurs uh, just so openly, I suppose. Oh, it's... Well, that's the thing. Like, you're saying that if you keep it where it has to keep resetting itself multiple times, then eventually it will essentially have to comply because there's no other way for it to survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it honestly feels like the the democrat party like yeah yeah. you know they were caused to reset themselves so many times that now they're just like fine you know how about just abortion is illegal in whichever states you own like it's uh (laughs) uh which you know is their sole focus this midterm but
1: yeah yeah it's uh you know so we get the this is the origin of zombies um, you can't, and you, even in the modern interpretation of zombies, it's tough to, you cannot separate even the modern pop culture version of zombies from the slavery and racism and colonial origins of it. Cause even the, the concept of a, um, of a human or creature that has Become void of its consciousness or void of its quote unquote free will and only operates on impulse is a way of uh, being able to be okay with fighting and doing violence to that thing. Like, in, right. it's not, it's much harder to convince an audience en masse that we're all against this monster if the monster has some kind of like agency and some kind of uh consciousness that you can be sympathetic with or have an empathetic moment with that but if you completely make that creature devoid of all those characteristics then it's really easy for us to just go around and like sticking spikes in their heads and being like yeah hell yeah we got another one you know type of uh type of attitude towards it
0: yeah if you remove the humanity (laughs) then (laughs) which Like it's a, it's amazing going through this and just seeing how, how strongly tied zombies are to like the, you know, essences of like slavery or t- thinking that, a another person is subhuman mm-hmm. because it, it just shows you how, uh, you know, it's through pop culture and you know, you can, don't feel bad, I guess, watching zombie movies now. Cause it's, but I think it's good to know the history of it, um, that it can feel that kind of, I don't know, you can feel how quickly people could then be like, well, if I think this isn't a human, then I have no problem treating it however.
1: Right. And you—we there there is this progression now. So if we can jump to George Romero, 1968 stuff, mm-hmm. um, or before that, like the first zombie movie in America is the white zombie. Like that's the title of it. And, it is kind of this idea that, oh, what if all that stuff that we heard happens to black people happened to a white person? <laughs> yeah, it's such a that's weird the big scary theme of that movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's like a voodoo practitioner and uh, that has like he has zombies that are black zombies on Haiti. And he uses them to, I think, do like a sugar mill or something mm-hmm. to make himself money. Uh, but they're not like the sympathetic characters. It is the the white uh, female lead that is the sympathetic character because she's going to be hypnotized to be in love with this guy. Um, it's such a interesting... And I think that... But I, I watched like the first five minutes of the movie and... It was kind of interesting that, again, it goes to show you what the original meaning of zombie was. They're like the two white characters are being driven in a horse-drawn carriage, and they're going all nuts through the area as these uh, white zombies are chasing after them slowly. And they get to their place, and then they ask the driver, like, why'd you drive so crazy? Like, you could have killed us. And he's like, No we could have had worse. We could have been caught like, you know, and then <laughs> turned into zombies. So it's again, goes to show you like being, being forced to be caught and then put to, Oh yeah. I think he mentions like you could be turned into a zombie and then forced to work for the rest of for your the rest days. of your life. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it just shows you that original meaning of it in white zombie, 1932, a pre code film, which I learned what that <laughs> phrase means. Yeah. What does it mean? <clears throat> it was before the they had like a... So it was after the adoption of sound in movies, but before the enforcement of this code that the strict enforcement, I think, started in 1934. So between 1929 and 1934, you can find movies that are pre-code, which means that they... um. They don't follow those regulations which stated like sort of like sexually as explicit things couldn't be in there, okay. uh, stuff like that. But it also meant those movies might have romance between a white and black character. Ooh,
1: interracial love.
0: Right. And then, the or, biggest, you know, between The biggest
1: taboo that people. you can think of.
0: <laughs> right. Homosexual relationships, I think, could also be seen in those movies. And then in 1934, they said, No. We must have morality in our films. <laughs> we're tired. We're tired uh, of raising all these demons, right? <laughs> um, I didn't. So the what's his name? Uh, I can Guillermo? do the. No. I can do all the Romero stuff. Yeah, I was about to call him uh, Rob Zombie, but that's not... His. Yeah,
1: no, no, that's that's the guy from White Zombie, the band, which I don't know if maybe they're n- now thinking, are they? did they name themselves ironically after the initial White Zombie movie from 1931, or is it like they got it from somewhere else? Who knows? Well, I, maybe, someone can figure that out for us. Um, <laughs> so uh, Romero's... That's a shorts question. Yeah, Romero's zombies are uh, the first movie... Uh, Night of the Night of the Living Dead is 1968. And his inspiration, like he doesn't even call them zombies in like this first canon of his movies. That I think he ends up doing, I don't know, 15 of them. Some of them are remakes. Maybe it's 20 of them, something like that. Whoa. Um, but initially he doesn't even call them zombies. They're living dead because he was inspired by um, the vampires from the book I Am Legend when he had read that. And so he was like, oh, "Oh, so there can be these things that are like animated and they can work together and stuff like that. So that was sort of his inspiration. And he's even mentioned that he didn't even like have a connection to the Haitian origins for his character. But when people saw the movie, they started in reviews and in cultural references of it. T- saying that though instead of saying these were living dead monsters they just called them zombies because that was what was understood to identify that type of creature and then he just went with it after that he was like oh okay we'll just call them zombies since that's what everyone is calling them when they saw my movie <clears throat> so that's kind of a weird uh you know culture comes at you fast and you might not know what the origins <laughs> yeah. of the things are that you are are inputting into your art or whatever but It all all works out, I guess, in the end.
0: (laughs) I wonder, was he, like, trying to create a new monster?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, like, his thought process of, like, what would be, you know. But he was also, and he was very coy about, like, his, early on, about his, like, social commentary that he would use in these movies. Often saying, like, oh, yeah, I never, like, I wasn't given some big social message. Um uh, but later on he does in his life he did talk about like, yeah, yeah, there's like under meanings going on in all of these movies. Um, but maybe at the time he thought in the sixties and seventies during civil rights and things, he couldn't just say that stuff out in the open. Um, but like in the original movie, the protagonist, um so yeah, A bunch of living dead monsters come to life. Townspeople are like, oh, no. Um, Townspeople get eaten and killed as they're trying to investigate it. Eventually, a ragtag group of survivors all ends up in one barn on a farm, and they all are trying to figure out how to defend themselves against the zombies as they've locked themselves up inside of this barn. The main protagonist of that group is a black actor. And George Romero would say that, oh, he was just cast because he did the best audition. But in the movie, um, after the zombies have been laid to waste, when there's a group of law enforcement and deputized other townspeople that come to from the outside to see, quote-unquote, if they could save people on the farm, when they arrive, the first thing they do is they see the black guy standing in the in the hayloft above the barn. They see him up there and they shoot him. <laughs>
0: oh, really? Yeah. Because they thought, it. oh,
1: I thought he was a zombie. And like that, people immediately were like, hey, are you trying to say something, Mr. Romero here? And he's like, no, no, it's just the it's the way the story goes. <laughs> what are you talking about? Me me filming a scene that looked like a white lynch mob showing up to kill the one black guy who is the hero who actually saved people? Like... And then them thinking that he was a zombie, like that makes me think maybe he did know about like the Haitian origins of the zombie, and he was just being coy about it. I don't know, you know, like how do you put something that sort of graphic and like, hey, look at look at what this is in your movie, and then be like, oh, it's just coincidence that that would have any cultural relevance.
0: (laughs) Is that the end of the movie? Yeah, like just showing. Um, Have you seen the alternate ending to Get Out?
1: Ah uh, yes, yes, it's very similar. So that's yeah, yeah. Where she basically that's gotta be like exactly. It's the real cops that show up, and she's like, "Yeah, he's a black man tried to kill me," and then they blow him away. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, yeah. That's gotta be <laughs> <like> directly <laughs> referencing it. Uh, I wonder why audiences today said, "Oh, that makes me feel bad."
1: And that well, that's a that's an interesting thing too. But we have to get there. If you go through like, so Romero like owns zombies you know, for almost 25 years. It's all, like, him. And then you have people that are, like, ooh, I want to make a movie, like he did. And so you have, like, a lot of copycats of that type of genre uh, of zombie, like the slow-moving zombie. But even in and Romero's, like, early works, he's got scenes where zombies figure out how to, like, use tools, and they work together to, like, break down glass to get inside of cars. And they're not totally void of human characteristics they have like still some level of cognition where they're not just totally driven by impulse so he is leaving like room there to like make you think is there is in the back of my mind am i okay maybe just wholeheartedly killing something that might have a little bit of sentience or or consciousness in there and um so then uh you know Zombie movies go through the 80s. We get then we get all the other kind of gory horror flicks and things like that. But where zombies come into like our lifetime is with video games. And this is where I wanted to talk to you a lot about stuff cuz like Resident Evil is like the video game that really brought zombies into my consciousness. Like 1996 or 95, whenever the arcade version of Resident Evil. And then there were a couple other, like House of the Living Dead, um, a couple other arcade-style video games where you had, like, the gun, and you you were, like, shooting at zombies and things like that. But Resident Evil was the first one where it was like, okay, zombies aren't dead creatures. They are actually the product of governments funding militarized scientists who have evil in their hearts and they create these monsters that are going to, you know, try to either take over the world or it was a military project that we were trying to create super soldiers and then it got out of hand and now that's released on the world and we're trying to cover it up type thing. It's this first new version of now we're looking at it as almost like science and technology are going to be the disaster of everything. They're going to create these this apocalypse that's going to destroy humanity. That's the new zombie trope. And that happens to us in the nineties. That's, that's like how I always understood zombies.
0: Yeah. I, I would play them, but, um, I know I played like resident evil on the first PlayStation, but, God is that a difficult game. Like the camera angle oh, just yeah. makes it. I know it's because it's a horror game. It's revolutionary. Like that
1: that was like a whole revolutionary thing having like a third person camera but then you still had to be like it the game wasn't big enough to have like this fully loading thing so you could only load the room that you were in at the time and that room would only have like maybe two camera angles so if you'd like walk to one side the camera angle would change and you walk to the other side the camera yeah. angle would change. Uh, and, but- and
0: your controls would change too. Yeah, yeah. Like, you would have to be... You couldn't just push to the right to go to the right of the hallway because the way the camera angle was, you had to, like, then move it up... Yeah, yeah, closer yeah. ...closer to, like, just the up direction. Like, God, that one was so difficult. But we had on a... Uh, we had, like, one of those zombie games on, like, the Wii, and that was probably my first... That and then... Uh, in college, like the Call of Duty zombies. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like mini game or whatever you would call that. Um, and I didn't, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really watch horror movies. Uh, so zombie movies were kind of, I think maybe, I'm sure I saw one, but. Honestly, like, Shaun of the Dead might have been the first one yeah. that, that I really watched. Um, and, and
1: Shaun of the Dead are great zombies, too, because they are like yeah. the Romero zombies. They're not... Uh, and and it, it does the same thing where you can... Because they're stupid and slow and bumbling, then you can make, like, a parody, funny type of kill moments and like almost cartoon tom and jerry like scenes with with the zombies it's not you don't have to turn it into a whole survival horror you can actually kind of be like isn't this funny that we're so scared of these things that are almost like basically you know fumbling around barely functioning creatures um and and it's more about like that one, I like because it's way more about the human reaction, and then the group of humans that get locked inside the pub together, and like how they turn on each other, and you know which ones are spineless and which ones are actually like you know your real friends who are gonna ride or die with you type of thing. It's, right. It's a it's a much more focus on that than uh, than oh my god how are we gonna ever figure out how to survive this horrific situation
0: yeah have you ever seen warm bodies uh no which one's that one it's uh when did it come out i think it maybe came out i don't know the the main actor in it was it was in 2013 uh nick holt was an actor i used to really like because he oh dave franco's in this um oh yeah i remember Uh, Nick Holtz is the main actor from the British version of Skins. Okay. Um, I don't know if you know that TV show. Um, Great first two seasons. Um, Seasons three and four, pretty good too. And uh, five and six, not good. Didn't watch it. Season seven had a few returning characters. Pretty good. Uh, Anyways. (laughs) um, That one's like a... He had like you can hear his thoughts so he's it's kind of like a zombie like sort of original they still eat people but like he can think what he's doing okay okay stuff like that.
1: okay i think i know the uh, one you're talking about now
0: it's kind of like a rom-com version, yeah yeah yeah, which is yeah yeah i know the one you're talking about now <laughs> uh and then 28 days later i think is probably my favorite one which you wouldn't really call that. I don't know if you call that zombie because I guess it comes off of the Resident Evil that the science made it. Yeah. It's like Like they're trying to make a
1: super soldier with a bunch of apes and it mixes with ape genetics or ape DNA. uh, And that becomes a virus that can infect human beings and cause them to rage out. Um, Yeah. So we have the whole 90s um, version of zombies, which is mostly portrayed through video games. Yeah. and a lot of it is, like, science is bad. Like, the scientists, if you leave them un, unsupervised, they're going to just create something that destroys the planet and kills all human beings. Um, and I can understand that because there is that whole thing that's going on in the early and mid-'90s where, like, we're starting to really have to confront climate change for the first time with real, like, scientific <laughs> data and evidence. <laughs> And people are like, mm-hmm. fuck that. You scientist, bunch of doomsayers. You know, like there is like this whole anti-science movement in the 90s that is just not at all comfortable with the fact that we can actually get like real numbers for things now. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And uh, but then after 9-11, I think there that's the other big dividing point with how zombies are portrayed. Because... Um, after 9-11 is when you get 28 days later. And I remember... Um, the dialogue at the time was how eerie it was at the beginning of that movie. Because all anyone could think about was the emptiness of New York for weeks after the attacks. And when they were showing the scene of empty London, like that was like almost a PTSD moment for people. You know, coming off of 9-11. Um, but as far as like the creatures in 28 days later, I think that that is a big confrontation with, it's the new confrontation of reality that it's the humans in a lot of ways in that movie that are the villains.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Even
1: though you're worried about the raging out of the, of the people who are infected, you're more worried that your loved one might get infected. Not, And you're gonna have to like put them down so that they don't kill you, type of thing. Not, man, we need to get a posse together to go wipe out as many zombies as we can, type of thing. And Well
0: and the how other humans turn into like their own sort of monsters, like, oh, I'm going to now be in charge. Oh yeah. Um it's like those scenes are so visceral when it's like it's the least gore in the movie but it just makes you feel like the worst about it.
1: Well, and the and the idea that if you think like in an apocalyptic scenario that uh you're going to find refuge with the military of of the the surviving military of the now gone society. <laughs> Probably yeah. not. <laughs> they're they're not going to be the guys that you want to go and run to for refuge. Um, because of all the, just now they're completely unbridled. And if the ones that are survived are the ones who just now have the weapons and the power, then you're going to get people that do really questionable and non-ethical things to each other, to other human beings.
0: I was wondering, so you mentioned like that uh, George Romero had social commentary and his about um civil rights i was led to believe and by led to believe i mean uh one of my parents told me and you know learning that not everything they said was uh, the god's honest truth um that zombies were a metaphor for communism (laughs) was that and they said that during the movie um I guess Dawn of the Dead, the one where they're at the mall, which to me looks more like consumerism is. Kind yeah, of yeah. The...
1: Like the the communism one is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and that's aliens. Most of the alien movies are the ones that are about communism. Uh, we got to keep our American ideals, and the the aliens that are coming in, whether it's War of the Worlds or. Uh, or invasion of the body snatchers or uh even stuff like uh the first i think what was the the mist the fir- the original mist or fog mm. movie or the the blob like even those are like
0: uh veiled red
1: scare movies
0: yeah okay then yeah that so that's cause...
1: that might be where they're getting it from i don't know if zombies as a trope is directly meaning uh communists uh but I have I mean I've I've heard much more about that with regards to alien invasion movies and those types of movies not never really zombie movies.
0: Okay, yeah. It seemed very out of place when I was looking back over it. Um but that's good to know. Uh I did I did want to go over real quick. Uh, I know we're reaching the end, but the the science of zombies a little bit like the eating of brains. Yeah. <laughs> um so uh George Romero never showed zombies eating brains um, and it wasn't until I guess 1985 Return of the Living Dead did they like consume brains Mm -hmm. and uh, Dan O'Bannon writer and director of Return of the Living Dead said that zombies feast on brains uh, because it makes them feel better by easing their pain and uh, Jack Flacco I don't know who he is I think maybe in the article paragraph before this in the article it mentioned who that was but um he said that uh that uh brains provide zombies with the necessary endorphins to dull their pain the pain of rigor mortis brought on by decomposition and that pinged my little uh, biology flag yeah <laughs> and i said uh what <laughs> um, they're getting those enzymes right so uh don't know much about the endorphins um but you know leaving that part aside i think rigor mortis is one of those things that obviously there's like a metal band named that Mm -hmm. it it sounds really dark and evil and all this kinds of stuff um but it's just like it's just latin uh (laughs) it's just like the the stiffness of death just Um, stiff
1: dead Two words and mashed together in Latin to make one word.
0: <laughs> it's like a short-lived symptom of death. So in your muscle, and this is why I think it's interesting to tie it all together, uh, in your skeletal fibers, which we always mention, I don't think we've ever like really broken down what's going on. But just quickly, you got two different protein molecules that are in like a muscle filaments, there's other stuff going on, but just the main ones that do the action are myosin and actin. And whenever you go to lift a weight or scratch your head or whatever it is that's going to contract a muscle, the nerve impulse from your brain goes to that muscle, and the nerve impulse triggers something that happens in those fibers. In those fibers, they do a good job of pushing uh, calcium ions out, so they have a, a gradient that's very stark. They have a ton of calcium ions on the outside of the cells and very few on the inside. That electrical signal causes the calcium channels to open, which then allows calcium to just flow in, and calcium is what sticks myosin and actin together it's the super glue Um, yeah it's the it's the thing that causes the super glue to it's the opening up of the cap of Mm -hmm. the super glue and they stick together and uh you know two little proteins doing that is not going to do a whole lot but when you have you know billions of them doing yeah all the channels open in your body at once because you're dead right well so this is just moving a muscle it you're able to move stuff you're able to lift whatever um, then your body to remove the calcium and pump it back out of the cells, it requires ATP. Ah, and we've spoken about ATP, our old favorite um, <laughs> adenosine triphosphate. Yep. It is the one that um, you make at the essentially throughout the electron transport chain. That's like the thing that that goes on to help. And what is required for the electron transport chain? It's oxygen. And what don't you inhale when you're dead? <laughs> it's <laughs> oxygen. So in death, your body is not able to use ATP to create that that differential of calcium ions, um, which is very funny to me. Whenever I learned this in college, because I was like, calcium is like just for your bones, yeah. But no, calcium is like very important for your muscles. Um. You're not able to separate it out, so the calcium then just goes, it diffuses back across the gradients so that it's equal on both sides of the cells, but that means you have way more on the inside, which is causing the actin and myosin to bind together all over your body. Um, It happens in your small muscles first uh, because they're smaller and easier to get stuff. You have fewer fibers. but then it happens in your bigger muscles and essentially for two to three days, the body is like very stiff because all of the muscles are just bound and there's no oxygen to create ATP to then remove the calcium. Um, then through the active decomposition phase, once the cell walls start breaking apart and things get really gross in the body, that's when the the limbs loosen up, um, but that is what we would call decay. Mm-hmm. So zombies eating brains to uh ease the pain of rigor mortis brought on by decomposition is a bad sentence <laughs> because uh rigor mortis happens immediately after death and then decomposition is what relieves rigor mortis. Yeah. Um so that was just the part that I wanted to get off my chest. <laughs> Well, last thing for me is just about apocalypse in general.
1: Um the the most interesting thing on the journey of this zombie thing for me was that I had always associated like because my sort of origin of zombies and my cultural awareness started with Resident Evil, I had always associated with it being this like apocalyptic thing, you know? But there is mm-hmm. no like apocalyptic thing that is the impetus for zombies in the original Haitian origins. Um, And even in, like, the um, Romero versions and stuff, it's not like uh, the world is ending type of events that are happening. That only, that happens later as we get closer to the year 2000 with the video games. And then after 9-11, pretty much all versions of zombies, whether it's through movies or TV shows or anything, is centered around it being completely global global collapse, apocalyptic type of events. And there's a few ways that you can view the reason why the culture shift towards this has happened. One, you know, we're in late stages of capitalism now, especially the last 20 years. And uh, a lot of people are seeing not just economic crises happen multiple times during their lifetimes, but they're seeing climate disasters and they're seeing migration problems and other things. And now people have gone through, you know, bird flu, H1N1, and then we got a real one like COVID and we got Ebola and we got, you know, big stuff that's happening. And we know that like antibiotic resistance is growing. We know that uh, lots of Fungus and other types of dormant, ancient, prehistoric bacteria are going to be released as the permafrost thaws. There's lots of reasons to feel like we're nearing the end of like civilization, or we're at a very precipitous time in civilization where we're on a tightrope, and it won't take too many things happening to just knock us off the tightrope. Um, so that's you know one cultural interpretation of why you're getting much more of these uh apocalyptic type of scenarios with your zombie trope. Um the other is that the there is a always been a religious especially in Christianity tie with apocalypse and resurrection. Um whether you're talking about the prophecies of Isaiah or um Ezekiel or Elijah in the Old Testament or if you're talking about the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ or Lazarus in the Bible um, and the promise of basically Jesus' second coming and the revelation is his is like his return to earth will bring about the apocalypse and there will be people like the way that people come back from the dead at that time is There's many verses about their actual physical bodies, the dust that made up those bodies, recombining to make them. And it's part of the reason why lots of uh, people who are very devout religious beliefs, you know, they do not do organ donation. They do not do cremation. They do not do those types of uh, things that could compromise the composition of their resurrected body. They cannot be separated from those parts because then, when they're put back together, they might be missing, which has always made me wonder. I guess you don't really think God's all powerful, if you th- if like your liver ended up <laughs> in someone else, that now He can't resurrect you correctly. I don't know how that works. Not gonna suck it out <laughs> of him. But and that uh, like, if the idea of resurrection is Jesus, then He was resurrected because He had all of His body parts, and it was his. It's not His soul that is resurrected. It's his actual physical flesh, so that's always been like a conundrum of Christianity as well, too. That people are like, "Oh, it's all about your soul. Your physical body is just a thing of this earth." But then, when we're resurrected, the kind of the physical body really matters. It's really fifty percent of the equation. So you're going to need all that stuff too. <laughs> it's, a, it's always been a weird, uh, weird uh, dichotomy there. Um, but you can see why there have been, there could be ties to apocalyptic scenarios with zombies as well. Whether you're going from a Christian tradition thinking that the world is about to end and you're trying to bring about the second coming of Christ, or you're from a secular tradition thinking the world's about to end because of climate disasters and pandemic and economic disparities and things like that. And you're using zombies to show, Hey, maybe we don't want civilization to end. Maybe we should all like, I don't know, figure some of this shit out. Um, and I, I also think the, um, in the representations of zombies, even in video games like Last of Us and things that have happened in, the, in sort of our current wave, if you're talking about even like Walking Dead TV show and um, stuff that has come out recently, the effort to reapply a consciousness and a humanity to the zombie is now part of it. And I think that is part more of the current consciousness of the people who are in our generation as they view this. They're trying to find the empathy in the character rather than finding, destroying the humanity from that character so that they feel vindicated with the sh- with the violence and destruction of those creatures. Um, there's much more of a, oh, wow, maybe we're the bad guys type of type of view in this type of thing and I think that is another just way of uh, art holding up a mirror to the world and using zombies as a way of like saying hey Um, and then you have the uh, the like actual real zombie which and if you listen to uh, different philosophers and scientists they talk about artificial intelligence and the burgeoning of artificial intelligence as like the actual creation of a real zombie the idea that we don't know we haven't been able to harness consciousness Oh, but we can create a really good like chat bot if we create the most amazing chat bot that we cannot differentiate between like a human conversation and a computer conversation but we know or we're we have not injected consciousness into that chatbot, but it can respond as if it has consciousness is it a zombie or do we have to start to think of that thing as now something that we have to treat with morals and ethics and that's a that's a big question like do you wait until the AI shows competency of like full consciousness and full agency to start treating it with morality and ethics or do you start at the very beginning when you know it's void of consciousness treating it with morality and ethics and then that's that's the question you have in any zombie movie like do i do i have a free card to kill because i view that thing as no consciousness or do i have to be concerned that this is also was a human being and i might also be a human being that could turn into this and i have no idea what's going on inside of it i don't know what its inter inter workings of its mental state is how it feels inside all i'm seeing is this outward projection of it so is it better to respond to it as a monster or to respond to it from a moral and ethical standpoint hoping that if I was in the position of a zombie and I was screaming from the inside, this isn't how I want to behave. I have no control over my actions. Please don't kill me. But you couldn't hear it. Like, how would I want to be treated if I was a zombie? And I think that's sort of a... If there's any reassuring, uh, warm and fuzzy thing to be had from the zombie episode, I think that new sort of cultural experience and interpretation of zombies shows that the just general trend of humanity is towards empathy, not necessarily towards uh, other otherizing everything.
0: Yeah. Maybe we should make a zombie podcast on this network. Could call it something like F the Walking Dead. Something <laughs> like that.
1: I don't know. I'll have to see if KJs can uh, still podcast on this
0: network all
1: the way from Wisconsin, if he's even allowed <laughs> <Yeah>. to.
0: <laughs> Listen, I've been to Wisconsin. They do not have internet. I don't up think there.
1: they do. I've been there too with you. I we both in Wisconsin, neither one of us had any internet.
0: Uh, we should have asked that guy at the gas station wearing the hat that said Wisconsin.
1: Well, I mean, that's why he he played us his demo CD because he couldn't just stream it for us.
0: See, I was out in the car talking with Justin <laughs> after when that happened. It's the first one to check out, just got my green tea, got out of there. I was not looking at the different types of cheese curds they had available.
1: <laughs> they have a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> all right, man. So that's all I got on zombies. Any last words?
0: Um, no, I did have a last word, but I forgot. Um, one little fun Halloween fact. Uh, in Frankenstein, did you know that the doctor is actually called Frankenstein's monster? <laughs>
1: Hello, my name is Doctor Frankenstein's Monster. That's uh-huh. his—that's his actual little... name, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the correction that everyone always gets wrong. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that was the name of the doctor. First name was Frankenstein, last name Monster.
0: Try that out.
1: <laughs> All right, man. Until next week. Bye.